Make your way into your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, and we have a part 2 continuing from where we were last week in chapter 3, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We love you tremendously, Lord. We love you. We love the knowledge of you, of who you are as our almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord, we're thankful that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have called us by name into a relationship with you. We give you thanks for sending your beautiful son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to be that sacrifice, Lord. To remove us from your wrath, to remove our sins from us, Lord, to blot them out, to erase them. We're thankful, Lord, for the relationship that we have with you day in and day out. We're thankful that we get to gather into this place in unity and to praise your holy and worthy name. We ask you for your spirit right now, that you would come upon our minds and our hearts and our ears. Lord, that you'd speak to us individually, that you'd speak to us as a community, as the body of Christ. And Lord, all that we do, may it be motivated out of love for you, cherishing you, obeying you, honoring you. Cleanse our hearts this morning, Lord, as we sit at your feet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pick up the story here in chapter 4, and we'll read down through verse 31. It says, Now, as they spoke to the people, so Peter and John speaking to the people, the priests... The captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day, that their rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged... For a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, literally, by what means he has been saved, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus 
And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man who was Uh, For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, The place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So I mentioned that this is part two, because again, the story, the account begins in chapter three. Sitting here, uh, I've, I've titled this, Do You See Me? as a question mark. And again, this sentence we addressed last week, and we're going to address it a couple more times as we look through the eyes of the religious leaders, as we look through the eyes of God. But it really is a powerful question that motivates our behavior in life. Because how we answer that question in our relationships with other human beings, how we answer that has a lot to do with how we interact with them. So when we ask the question, it may not be this exact question, but the idea behind it of whether or not another human being sees you. Does your spouse see you? Do your children see you? Does your employer see you? Do your employees see you? How we answer that has a lot to do with how we interact with them, what we think about them, 
how we respond to the circumstances and situations that are going on. And we use this, I'm using this, because as we sit in chapters 3 and 4, much of the language is dealing with sight. We looked at last week, beginning with this lame man, and we're told here in chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old, often sitting on these steps daily. This is his, how he is providing for his own daily needs of food and provision for himself. Having people go by him all day long, do you not see me? Do you not see my need? And again, he would have judgment towards others. He would have prayer to God in that, wrestling with God in that. This is one of those circumstances that I can, I can only imagine for 40 years being lame. His, his feet are loose to the point where he had to be carried. He couldn't even be on crutches on his own. He was depending upon others just to get him to that point in that position of begging. Do you see me? Well, Peter and John see him because the Holy Spirit is moving upon them to look at this man and to provide for him, not something out of, out of their own power and out of their own sustenance and out of a worldly provision because Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but who I have, what I have, is I have the very God of gods dwelling in me who has saved me from my sins. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the crowds saw this. And when the crowds see this, they're looking at Peter and John as though they're the miracle workers, as, they, as though they have something that can satisfy whatever their curiosity now is. And Peter, when he sees the people, he discerns what they're thinking. He says, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me as though I can save you? Why are you looking at me as though I am the one who caused this man to become whole and to become complete? So we sit in the subject matters with the, the Pharisees, not even, it's not the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, it's the priests. Look at all the different people that are involved here in regards to the leadership and their sight. And we're going to sit in um, them, and again, it's both sides of this question, as we ask the question of others, do you see me? And the same thing asking of ourselves, do I see you? Look at all the, the leaders that are involved here, the priests. And this is, a, this is a, a dedicated class of people based upon their pl- bloodline that are set apart for sacred service to God on behalf of the people. Like this is who we're talking about in this culture. The priests, the captain of the temple, this position in regards to the responsibility underneath the high priests, the Sadducees. The Sadducees do not believe that there is life after death. As they are responding to what they are witnessing, why are all these people gathered in this area? What are they responding to? What's the commotion that's going on? The priest, the captain of the temple, some Sadducees are going over there and they're, they're ascertaining what the situation is. And they're hearing a man has been healed by Peter and John and they've done it through the name of Jesus Christ. So one, their, their feathers are ruffled because other people are teaching on their turf. Why are you in the temple precincts teaching? Who gave you this authority to teach? Why are you teaching this? And not only are they bothered that they're teaching, they're bothered that they're preaching, not that they're preaching the resurrection in the name of Jesus, but they're preaching in Jesus' resurrection. 
So they're not just bothered by who Jesus is, but they're bothered by the whole idea and the whole concept of resurrection, that there is life after death. For the Sadducees, this was the only life that you have. Live it to its fullest. Get the power, get the money. This is the ruling class amongst the people at this time. Uh, and they are all about the now, not about the future. But what they, they are, as they are approaching Peter and John, as they are interacting with the people, they're asking the same question. Don't you see who we are? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the position that we have? We're the teachers. We're the ones who provide the interpretation. We're the ones who provide the instructions. Why are you teaching? And why are you teaching in a name that we don't approve of? And as you sit in the names here in verse 5 where you have Ananias, or sorry, verse 6, Annas, the high priest, Jesus was taken to Annas. Caiaphas is Annas' son-in-law at this time. He is the high priest that's in charge. So Annas was the high priest from from the year 6 to the year 15. Caiaphas is the high priest at this time from the years 18 to 36. Ananias, we'll see later on in Acts, he becomes the high priest through the year 58. Annas' family, I think it's five of his son held the Five of his sons held the position of high priest here, Caiaphas, his son-in-law. These other names, John and Alexander. Not only these men, but rulers in the community. Elders, these are going to be men that are aged, that are respected. Scribes, these are the lawyers of the day who know the Old Testament, the Word of God, backwards and forwards. They have it memorized. They are the ones who are giving the interpretation of the law and its application in the life and the culture of the nation of Israel. So this scene that is going on, this isn't just some low-level backcountry court. This is a national concern for the nation of Israel. These are their national leaders. These are their religious leaders. These are men of power. These are men of prestige. These are men of honor. These are men that would have been highly and greatly esteemed in their day. So we sit in the word down in verse, oh, I need my glasses, I can't see anything. Verse 15, the word council there, that's Sanhedrin. So they are in the council. This is their supreme court, the Sanhedrin of the day. This is represented with 70 elders, 70 rulers of the community. This is the court of the day. These are the men who have the authority for judgment. So it's these 70 elders plus one, the high priest. So what is going on for them, the commotion that's going on, they have this testimony that this man has been healed, a miracle has been performed, but it's being performed, it's been performed in the name that they don't authorize. It's been in the evening, so night trials are illegal, so remember Jesus' trial was at night, totally illegal. Here they put him into custody for the evening, and they gather back together as a council in the morning and bring him in. And their question is, by what power, where is your source of ability to perform this miracle and or by what name? And again, when we talk about the name of Jesus Christ, it has everything to do with not this, uh, we're pronouncing this magical word that's just going to solve a problem, solve a healing and provide. It's, it's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's his attributes. 
So they know that they've done this in the name of Jesus and they're giving them the opportunity to provide a, de a defense. So if you can imagine, this is, this is the 70 bigwigs, not just of the community, but of the nation. This would be if you were brought forth before the Supreme Court. Do you think you'd be a little bit nervous? Do you think you'd be a little bit agitated and some trepidation, some fear? But here you have Peter in their midst. It says that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this isn't that he has been unfilled and unsealed and unbaptized with the Holy Spirit that we saw in chapter 2. But this is a, the, the word for spirit in both the Old Testament and the New Testament has everything to do with breath, with wind. And it's just as natural, just like we breathe in and breathe out oxygen without even thinking. This is, the, this is the idea with the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. As we are interacting with him, as he is dwelling in us through faith in Jesus Christ, how he is moving and acting in our life is just as natural as breathing. But when you breathe in, how long before you have to exhale? As we breathe in the breath into our lungs, as I am exhaling, this is, this is the wind that's going over my vocal cords is what is producing sound in the air. And that we're all in agreement that the sounds that I am making have some kind of meaning. And we're in agreement on the meaning of the words that I'm speaking. This is what gives us understanding and the ability to communicate. Peter, as he's breathing in here, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. As he is breathing out, as he is speaking, he is uttering the divine words that God is giving to him. Just as natural in this moment with whatever, if he is shaking a little bit in this, if he is intimidated at all, we don't see any appearance because his strength is coming from God in this. And as he is being brought before this court of elders and rulers of the community, powerful men that have his life in the balance, he is now breathing out these divine words. And again, he's a... there's. There's just genius in this from God because he is standing, they're judging him, they're evaluating him. They're looking to figure out what's going on and he's answering to this court, not for a crime. He's answering to them, he says, for a good deed. If I've been brought before you to be judged for a good deed, not for a crime, but for a good deed which has been performed on this helpless man, let it be known to you. Look at his language. Let it be known to you all. You elders, you rulers, all the people of Israel. It wasn't us. It's not our power. But it's by the name, the person, the resurrected person, Jesus of Nazareth. Now remember, these men know Jesus' name. These men were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion and his death. Where Pope Peter can boldly declare who you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. By him, by Jesus alone, this man stands before you whole, complete. He's no longer the lame man. He is now eternally a strong man. And again, quoting to them out of their own word, this being Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you builders, quoting out of Psalm 118. It's a messianic psalm. He is, he is sticking it to their authority and to their uh, 
is exposing their hearts that you've rejected the one who God has named as the chief cornerstone. There is salvation in no other, not in Muhammad, not in any of any other doctrine or teaching, no other man, no other woman. There is salvation and no other. Salvation is deliverance. When we talk about a, a spiritual salvation, it is deliverance from the wrath of God, which is just against all sin. And it's not just saved from, but it's saved to. It's to his favor. It's to a relationship with him. It's to security in him. It's to life in him. It's to healing in him. There is no other name under heaven that has been given to us by which we must be saved. And these men... They see this boldness, this boldness of speech, this freedom of speech. Peter is not hindered in any way. He is, I'm sure, reverently taking into consideration who he is speaking to, but he is absolutely free in his words. Um, he is not hiding any of his words. He is not... Um, putting a sugar coat. He's not making this medicine easy for them to take. The perception is they listen to these words that these men, they are not scribes. They are uneducated. They have not gone to our seminaries. They have not gone to our schools. They are untrained. It means they're this common men and they're marveling at this. Where does this boldness come from? Where does this authority come from? And then they have this, this realization that they had been with Jesus. They're left to their own silence. They can't say anything in regards to what has been performed. They can't deny it. So rather than choosing to press into the reality of the circumstance that is right before them, they are choosing to hold on to their traditions and to their powers. And what they do is they, okay, we can't do anything, so let us threaten them. Let us use all the authority that we have to command these men never again to speak in this name. And here's the hearts that we want to protect ourselves against as we think about these leaders. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is Paul's last letter as he is in prison. Writing to Timothy, he says, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, hard times, violent times, dangerous times, troublous times will come. Why? Because men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. He goes on, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And here's the main idea. Having a form, having the embodiment of godliness, but denying its power, denying its strength. So when we look at these men who are responding to a helpless man that has just been made whole. I mean, you could think of just, think of somebody who you know, somebody who you know who is crippled, somebody, maybe it's a mental crippleness, maybe it's a physical crippleness. Somebody you know who you relate to. I used to work for a guy who was a paraplegic, jumping on the trampoline with his kids, broke his neck, jumping on the trampoline with his kids. 
limited motion of one hand for the rest of his life. And for me, if I were to have seen that man fully healed in his body, what kind of wonder would that have caused in me? How did this happen? Where did, where, did the, where did the power, what medicine did you take? What treatment did you have? And for them, they know, again, a miracle has been performed. But as they're looking, as they're, as they're interacting with the evidence that's right in front of them, to talk about the weight of the position that they have. So again, as we look at the, this group of individuals, this is sitting in the role of our president. This is sitting in the role of our Supreme Court. This is sitting in the role of our Congress. The authority that is on their shoulders, the weight that they have, for those who have a faith in God and have a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, how hard, what kind of pressures do they have to conform to the ways of the world rather than staying on that simple path of following Jesus? They have that weight daily. What do they know in their decision-making processes that we are completely ignorant to? These men, as they are ruling the nation, they are ruling the nation in a religious perspective, they have a tremendous amount of influence upon the civil laws also, but they are underneath the authority of Rome. They have a foreign oppressor who has authority over them. Rome has appointed a king for them, Herod. Rome has appointed who is going to be high priest when. These men are subject not just to the authority of God and not just to the authority of God's word, but they're the subjects of man's authority and man's ways and man's traditions. And they're attempting to navigate all of this. So even as they're attempting to control their crowds, they're attempting to control their people, much of their motivation is to keep Rome at bay. Because again, the culture and the climate at this time there's much rebellion against Rome. Everybody wants freedom from Rome. Everybody is crying out to God to send the Messiah. Send us the king who is going to deliver us from this oppression. So they're sitting in these kinds of thoughts. They need to control the people. But in their role, in their responsibility, in their pressure in thinking that they are godly, in thinking that they are loving God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, with all of their might. These men, they know the word of God. They know the God who created the heavens and the earth. But they're separated from him because they are looking to the law to save them they are looking to their position to save them. They are looking to their own righteousness. And as they're asking the question, do you, Peter and John, do you not see us? Do you not see our role? Do you not see our responsibility? Do you not see what God has appointed us to? So when you look at Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, with boldness and with courage, proclaiming the truth, 
the man that you were looking at who has been healed, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who you crucified, who God, according to his hand and his purpose, determined beforehand for you to do because it was necessary for him to be crucified to die for the sins of all human beings. It's this man who you crucified, who God, more powerful than your authority, more powerful than your wants, your desires, God, our God, raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. And it's through this name and this name alone that this man has been made well and been made whole. And it is through this name and this name alone that you are made well and that you are made whole. And if you reject the stone which God has appointed as the cornerstone, where does that leave you? And they're sitting in this and they are taken aback by the boldness. They are taken aback by the truth. The warning that we have is how easy is it for us to lock into our own systems into our own ways. We can lock into Calvary Chapel is not a denomination and a lot of ways, there's some rebellion against the denominations, but we're divided in all these categories of Christianity, right? You got Catholic, and you got Protestant, and you got the Orthodox, and all kinds of Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, and Russian Orthodox. We got the Methodists, we got the Lutherans, we got the Episcopalians, we got the Anglicans, we got the Baptists, not just the Baptists, but the Southern Baptists. And we can go on down through the list of all of our different divisions. And what are all those divisions based upon? Our ways, our traditions, our control, my power. Much, many of the divisions that have occurred over time, I and mean, some, God has done a miraculous work. There's a revival going on. Um, we can see a lot of these as we sit in history. And as that happens, then the next generation, then the next generation, it just, it's, it's lost its life, it's lost its meaning, and now people just find themselves in the rote tradition. So even as we're singing these powerful lyrics, it's very easy just to just do things by tradition, just do things by rote. And this is the heart that we're being warned against, having the embodiment of godliness. What we are doing this morning, this is godly. We have made the choice to gather together this morning to worship God together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To sing his praises, to bring him glory, to bring him thanks, to recognize the Father, to recognize the Son, to recognize the Holy Spirit, to open his word, to listen, to fellowship with one another, to participate in each other's life. What we are doing this morning, this is, this is godly. This is attending to God. This is attending to one another. But how easy is it to be the whitewashed tomb on the outside? I mean, think of something as beautiful as the Taj Mahal. It's a tomb. The pyramids, they used to, they're, they're marvelous, but they used to have the, the limestone, the flat limestone that they would have gleamed white in the sun. They're tombs, pretty on the outside, but a dead man and full of tradition on the inside. Going through all the forms of godliness, but having zero love for God truly, 
and for God's people. What the rulers are doing is they are looking at this man and the miracle that has been performed in his life through the name of Jesus Christ. When they see the man, they're saying, I don't love you. I don't care about you. You are a problem that needs to go away. And you're a problem that needs to go away because you're violating our system. You're violating our leadership. You're violating our ways. How dare you? But because of the masses and the people, they can't mutilate. They can't beat Peter and John into submission. So they use words. They threaten them. Which is just astounding to me because you have the people recognize the miracle and the people that are underneath the authority of this leadership the people are praising God but the leaders themselves they're filled with threats they're filled with violence and they're you know they want to control and this is the prayer and this is really powerful you know, Peter's response to them, you know, you guys need to make your own determination whether it's right for us in the sight of God to listen to you or to God. But I'm just telling you right now that we can't do anything else other than to speak what we have seen and what we have heard. God's attention, God sees us. Do you leaders, do you see God? We see him and they go back they're reporting to the other apostles, to the church that's gathered together. And this is their prayer. And this is, this is, this is how powerful this idea is. And again, in the, in the contrast of ideas, the word Lord there at the beginning of this prayer. This is despotes in the Greek. Often, like 99.9% .9 of the time when you see Lord in the New Testament, it's kurios. It's the word that the Greeks used to translate Yahweh from the Old Testament. So in most of your Bibles, the word Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps, it's Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the personal name of God. In the New Testament, the Greeks, they would translate it with the word kurios. And we're going to see that word. The word is used there in context, kurios is. But here it's the word despot. You think of... Uh, you know, Kim, the, the guy of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, can't pronounce Korean, so forgive me. But he's, he's a guy who kind of has like absolute control. He's a master over his people. And as the disciples, as the apostles, as the church turns to God, they call him despot, master, owner. Look at the language you are the God. You are the God who created the heavens and the earth. Human authority is standing before us, threatening us. You know the culture that we live in. You know the times that we live in. You know the circumstances that we are dealing with. You are the master. You are the God. The heavens and the earth, they were spoken into existence by your power. By you they exist. They are for your glory. And as we look at all of nature, 
We are told ultimately God created all of this for the purpose of creating man, male and female, in his image to have a relationship. And in that relationship, he knew we were broken. We broke ourselves through sin. And he sent his son to deliver us from sin, to erase our sins, to remove us from sin and the wrath that is due towards sin. That's the God that they're praying to in boldness and in courage. Quoting out of the word of God, why do the nations rage? Why do they arrogantly snort like a war horse against God? Why do they rebel against you? Why do we all rebel against God? They all gather together against your servant. Again, this is not do loss, it's going to come up in a minute, but your holy servant Jesus, your boy slave Jesus. This is pointing, we talked about this last week in chapter 3 and 4 here. Every time it's referring to Jesus as your holy servant Jesus, the word servant, it's pointing back to those later chapters of Isaiah in regards to identifying who the servant is. God, you were the one who anointed Jesus. And this anointing, again, you can go sit in 1 Samuel 16 as, as Samuel anointed David as king through God's command. David as king, God promised him an eternal kingdom. This is who the Messiah is. He is the king who is going to reign for all eternity. Sovereign, master, God, you are the one who has anointed him as king. Even though Rome has anointed Herod as our king. Rome has also appointed Pontius Pilate as our governor with all the Gentiles that are in our community and all the people of Israel. They chose to stand with the world rather than standing with you, our God. But as they gathered together, ultimately they were doing what your hand and your purposes determined beforehand to be done. This was always plan A. And here's the cry of God. God, do you see me? God, do you see them? Do you see those who have authority over us? Do you see their threats? Do you see their plans? Do you see what they're trying to do? Lord, kurios, please see them. And to us, give us Give to us your servants. Give to us your, and this is our word, doulos. Give to us your bond slaves, those who are willingly submitted to you through your beautiful son. Give to us with all boldness. And this is courageous speech. This isn't courageous attitude. This doesn't free us from sweating and trembling at circumstances. But Lord, give us boldness that we may speak your word, not to the traditions of man, not a denomination, not a theological perspective, but grant to us the ability to speak the gospel. Give to us the ability to be witnesses for Jesus Christ's sake. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, you stretch out your hand to heal because God uses these miracles and God uses these healings to cause people to attend to the reality of who he is and to the truth of his word. God, may you do signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And God responds to them with an emphatic yes as the place is shaken, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and as they continue to speak the word of God. Ongoing activity. Now question that we're going to close with as we look at this prayer of what, and again, these are, these are imperatives. God look on, God grants. These are imperatives that they're crying out to God for, that we ought to be crying out to God for. How often have you seen God stretch out his hand to heal? And how often have you seen God perform signs and miracles in the name of his holy servant, Jesus Christ? Anybody ever seen a healing? Has anybody ever seen God heal somebody? Does that happen all the time or few and far between? It's seen, in our culture, it seems very few and far between. And a lot of us, we want to ask that question, why? As I look at my own heart and my own relationship with God, I continue to ask him to free me from the heart of a Pharisee, to free me from the heart of a Sadducee, to free me from any kind of pride of knowledge, knowledge about God but having no relationship with God. God, in my, in my response to you, is it only a form and an embodiment of godliness? Am I only doing this because of the people who see me or have I responded to your love in genuine love, Lord? And I do believe that I've responded to him in genuine love. He has saved me from my sins. I'm not just some religious leader, but I am in an active relationship with Jesus Christ as my master, as my Lord, as my savior. I've responded to his grace. I've responded to his gospel. Yet as I listen to my mind, as I listen to my heart, as I listen to my words, often I'm imaging traditions, I'm imaging legalism, I'm imaging control. And as I sit with a lot of you, as I sit with a lot of other pastors, as we go to conferences and you listen to the prayers of others, what's going on in their life, there is a consistent cry in our culture that God would send revival, that he would wake up his church with his spirit. Because it seems as though Much of those who name the name of Jesus Christ in our culture, they're just embodying and they're just going through motions and they're going through traditions. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the very power, the very ability of God to heal. And not just to heal physically, but to heal spiritually. That God truly does have the power to transform this mind. Any of you have ruts in your mind? God, I need those ruts filled in with your word and your grace and your glory and your love. Any of you still have a hard or calloused heart and need some stones removed out of here? I do. And this, as we end, worship team, come on up. Before the worship team begins, and Greg, you just, uh, you start the next song when you feel led. I'm going to invite all of us to stand in unity. And I'm not going to pray this for you. 
But I'm going to ask you, in your relationship with your master, the God who created the heavens and the earth, that you would pray this prayer. Lord, look at the culture that we live in. Look at their threats against your church, against your body, who you died for. Look at how silent we are in our culture. Look how fearful we are that we may offend with telling somebody about Jesus. Lord, would you give us boldness and courage? Not just an idea, not just a knowledge, but an action, Lord. Would you give us boldness? Would you give us bold speech? Speech that loves people. Speech that proclaims Jesus and not a denomination. Speech that proclaims the gospel and not some tradition of man. God, give us boldness. Start in me. Give us the boldness to preach your word. And according to your will, Lord, we are asking that you would stretch out your hand to heal and that you, Lord, you would perform signs and miracles to be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Not so that we can have pride, not so that we can have glory, not so that we could be filled with people in this building, but so that the crowds would gather together and respond to your beautiful son rather than reject him. That you would act in a way in our culture, Lord, where the world would be left in absolute silence because they can't deny the miracle that you performed. And as they see that, Lord, that you'd free them from the heart that we see in this chapter of these individuals who even when they see the miracle performed, Lord, they're, they're rejecting you. They're not submitting to you. So take a few minutes to pray. Greg, we leave it to you to start singing when you feel led.